Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry. Our show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. And as with Senior Straight Talk, all episodes of the previous show can be heard on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. A few weeks ago, I began to introduce short news items at the top of the show. You can now hear Senior News Today on my YouTube channel at Phyllis Amon Associates. Please like, share, and subscribe. Also, for those listeners feeling stressed, stretched, and overwhelmed, help is here. Resilience Toolbox Secrets will help you recharge, reset, and recommit as you face life's challenges. You can find them on my website at phyllisamonassociates.com. The Kindle version of my book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is now on Amazon. I appreciate your support and hope you'll be able to post a review that supports the book and helps spread the word on this all-important topic. If the book doesn't show up on your Amazon search, please feel free to email me at phyllis at seniorsstraighttalk.com from the show page. Now for the news item for today. According to a November 24th article on CTV, COVID cases are also rising across Canada, which is leading to new lockdowns and other social gathering bans or restrictions, the latter of which are taking a toll on older adults who are confined in elder care environments, as in the United States. Canadian health officials noted in May that as in the United States, the country's nursing homes and elder living environments were the hardest hit early in the pandemic, with some 80% of COVID deaths occurring there. And today, health officials say that more than 70% of Canadians who have died from the disease were over the age of 80. The news outlet added that researchers have noted rising rates of loneliness and despondence among residents and senior homes during COVID-19 lockdowns something they have termed confinement syndrome. Let's make sure our elder citizens and aging parents, wherever they reside, have much needed connections to thwart against loneliness. Before we begin our conversation with our guests, I want to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And at this juncture, Rubina and I are proud to announce that Seniors Straight Talk now has a collaborative partner, the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging, now joins Seniors Straight Talk, bringing our listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And at this juncture, I have to say hello to my co-host, Rubina. Well, hello to you also, Phyllis. And it's uh, really wonderful, all the places we will go. Yep. And all the people that we will. You said that a long time ago, right? 
and, and we have to keep on repeating that. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's just been, uh, this was just a, a developed in the past couple of days, as we know, and it's really been, um, uh, we're both very proud to have them as collaborative partners. So they, they will be a wonderful partner. And thank you very much for, uh, for doing the show yourself last week. Um, and uh, I listened to it. It was released uh, just shortly before this recording. And I am truly, truly um, looking forward to our, our partnership and our relationship with our, with our new partner. Yeah, they're really uh, two wonderful women. Jan Hively, who lives in Massachusetts. She's the U.S. liaison to Pass It On Network. And her co-founder, Moira Allen, actually a native of South Africa, lives in France. Yes, and it was uh, Jen Hug, Hug, Hively was your guest last week. That's why I've hesitated from pronouncing the name right. of the guest last week because I couldn't uh, couldn't pronounce it. And and I think I I really truly enjoyed the the conversation. And think as you and I talk further and come you know together on our mission, we need to introduce the multiculturalism, the diversity in our conversation, and the diversity. In, uh, in addressing the, the needs of all seniors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that certainly they bring to the conversation, being affiliated with the United Nations. Exactly. Um, so that, that really is so consistent with what you and I um, envisioned from our first conversation, actually. That was our first conversation. We talked about cultural diversity of seniors and yeah. of the people who care for seniors. Exactly, exactly. We always uh, need to remember that as we are uh, moving along on our journey. And uh, I really, truly am looking forward to wherever it will take us, Phyllis. Honestly, you know, from my heart, I'm truly open and I'm open to the conversation, uh, to learning um, from our guests today. And because I'm one of the, though I'm a business owner, at this, I can consider myself a financially illiterate person. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, um, to you introducing our guest and having this conversation. So great. I'm going to do that right now. Our guest today is Joel Solomon. He's a prosperity coach who helps others overcome obstacles standing in the way of their financial freedom. In 2019, Joel published The Nine Money Rules M- Millionaires Use only the unconventional ones, which was a bestseller in both self-help and personal finance. In 2018, he published Mindful Money Management, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager, which was also a bestseller. Joel's an award-winning speaker and frequent podcast guest. He has led 11 workshops teaching the concepts of how to overcome limiting beliefs. He's spoken at numerous Rotary and Lions Clubs in the New York metropolitan area and at Mercy College's MBA program, as well as as at Mike Dooley's Infinite Possibilities Training Conference in New Orleans in March of 2018. In 2012, he achieved a decades-long dream with the launch of his own hedge fund, Sellermore Capital, which was named after his two daughters, Lauren and Morgan. He's been a chartered financial analyst since 1995. And in 1992, Joel was named a fellow of the Society of Actuaries, 
He's also an advanced communicator gold toastmaster and a certified infinite possibilities trainer and trailblazer. His vast experience beyond his financial expertise comes from a passion as an avid traveler. Joel has visited over 40 countries and five continents. So with that, Joel, uh, I need a break, so I'll let okay. you talk because <laughs> that was a mouthful. And because you're a advanced communicator gold to- toastmaster, I think I better just be quiet and let you talk. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the introduction, Phyllis. It's really a pleasure to be here. And, and you know, my dream and my mission is to help at least 100,000 people become financially free. So and the more I can and educate and teach uh, more and more people, the more I can help and, and reach that goal. That's a, that's a big dream of mine. Oh, well, that certainly is a wonderful goal, I have to say. So talking about, you know, financial mindset as it relates to individuals or families who, who may be thinking about planning for their older years or caring for their parents and concerns about their parents' financial status, what advice would you get that, give them or how would they go about this journey? Uh, great, great question, Phyllis. I think the most important part of any financial plan, and, and by the way, I just want to be clear, as, as Phyllis did say, I'm a prosperity coach. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't sell insurance or annuities. I don't sell stocks or bonds or mutual funds. All I do is teach. And so from my perspective, what's really important is to understand yourself and to be self-aware and to understand what your beliefs are around money. You know, and, and I advise uh, listeners right now to, to think about that for a few minutes. What beliefs do you have about money, about prosperity, about financial freedom? And how is that impacting you on a daily basis? Because your beliefs which is rule number one in my book, The Nine Money Rules, Millionaires Use, is critical because if you don't understand what your beliefs are, then it's going to be really tough to manage your money, to be mindful around your money, and then also about the wealth transfer. Hopefully, there's wealth transfer between generations because you need to understand that you were brought up And when you were brought up, you were taught subconsciously, usually, about money. Mm -hmm. I was taught subconsciously about money, just watching my parents or hearing them say, that's too expensive. We can't afford that. Money doesn't grow on trees. Trees. Right. I knew that one. I was thinking that one. My father used to say that all the time. You think money grows on trees. Exactly. Well, that's not serving us. If we still have that voice in our head 50, 70 years later, then we're going to be coming from a point of view of lack and scarcity, not from abundance and prosperity. And I know when I was growing up, my father used to scream at me when I left the light on in my room and we left the house. Joel, <laughs> right. not a shareholder of Long Island Lighting Company, go back and turn that off. Right, right. <laughs> how much was that really saving us, truly? But it was the, the perspective, like, there's never enough. There, there's not going to be enough. And we really, really careful about every single penny or dime when, in fact... 
there's $420 trillion of net worth on this earth. Wow. There's seven and a half billion people. That means on average, there's more than $5 million per person. That's plenty for most everyone on this world to be financially free. Hmm. But that perspective is not truly understood. So understanding yourself, being self-aware, and understanding your limiting beliefs around money is going to impact your relationship with your family and the wealth transfer that hopefully is taking place. And being completely self-aware means understanding your money personality type. Hmm. Does anybody know their money personality type? I'm pretty sure no. No, absolutely not. But I'm afraid to hear what you say because I'm sure I don't have help. I'm ready to take the quiz. Go on, Joe. We're ready. So I actually do have a complete survey. And if if anybody wants uh, who's listening, who wants to do the actual survey, they can reach out to me. Uh, Joel at S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. That's Joel at Salomar.com. All it is, is you, you're, you have to, it'll take you five minutes. But let's go through the seven money personality types first, and maybe you can guess which one you are. But I will tell you, first of all, before we get into it, number one, you're not only one money personality type, you're a blend. And two, it's flexible. I truly believe that personality isn't permanent. And depending on the circumstance, what age you are, who you're with, your money personality changes. Think about it. If you were single and then you got married or you got into a relationship and had a partner, you acted differently relative to money. When you were 22, you acted differently than when you were 40 or 50 or 80. Right. Most likely. So let's talk about the seven money personality types. The acronym... The acronym to remember them is sugar pie. Sugar pie. So S stands for the splurgers. Ah. And you can imagine what uh, splurgers are like. They generally are swayed by emotional impulses. Their mindset is I deserve to spend my hard earned cash on whatever I want. Their attitude is money grows on trees. And I, I need that. I need that guitar. I need that sundress. I need to buy that. I need those shoes or that purse. I passed that by. I think I've passed it by. I think. Well, now that I'm in my house a lot, I have realized why do I have all these shoes and purses? I'm not going anywhere to use them. So that was really not necessary. So it does shift your mindset. You can shift your mindset. Absolutely, depending on the circumstances. Right, exactly. So, okay. so that's S. U stands for the unconscious ones. Mm. They refuse to believe. They have their heads in the sand. And they don't ever look at their accounts, which is clearly not serving them. So they believe They can buy that Ferrari, go on that vacation, and don't realize that they have to borrow the money on their credit card and not being able to pay it back the next month. They're completely unconscious. And what's I found as I'm writing my next book, uh, Infinite Love and Money with a couples coach, we, we found that 
it's very interesting within a couple, generally one person in the couple is an unconscious one. They let the other person make all the decisions, don't have the information. That's not serving them and it's not serving the couple. Right. I'm, I'm the unconscious one. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully your, your spouse is one of the other po- relatively positive personalities. I, I'm sure, I, I'm I, sure I he is. Think I've, I've met him and I would definitely probably say that's true. Okay. So, in all so, likelihood, right. So sugar, G uh-huh. in sugar stands for the greedy ones. Ah. And have an excessive desire for wealth, possessions, right? What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. Ebenezer Sh- Scrooge. Right. And, but remember, Ebenezer did change, right? At the end of the, the, the Christmas carol, he yeah. did change. So A is for the accumulators, also known as the savers or the hoarders. And... The perception is that, oh, accumulators, good, saving, good. The problem with those, and it does have some positive attributes. The problem with it is they're reluctant to give. Mm-hmm. And yeah. giving, I know a by few people way, like that. Giving, by the way, is rule number six in the nine money rules millionaires use. Right. And I tell people giving is probably the fastest way to financial freedom. And they look at me like I have two heads. Joel, if I give my money away... I have less money, not more money. No, I agree. I agree because it comes from that place of uh, you're giving from an abundant place and then you receive more. Not that you do it with that in mind. No. It can't be done. But it's called generous giving. Correct. Yes. So the accumulators have this mindset of we can't afford that. They're generally not generous. They're hoarding. And that's not serving them. So sugar, pee, stands for the protectionists. So they're even farther on the scale versus the savers or hoarders. They're protecting their money. They won't even put it in a, in a savings account. They'll keep their money in a checking account or under the mattress or in the freezer, frozen. Don't touch my money. I'm going to keep it all in cash. Investments are risky. I got to protect it. What they don't understand is they're taking massive risk because of inflation. And when you're hoarding money or keeping it in your mattress, even at 3% inflation rate, money doubles in 24 years and your cost of living goes doubles. Mm. So protectionists have a big problem too. They're not taking enough risk, quote unquote risk. They're actually taking too much risk by keeping it in the mattress. Oh, that's interesting. Nobody would think of it that way. That's like antithetical thinking, right? Yeah. So I is for investors. Their their mindset is we're going to buy a dollar for 80 cents. And they have a positive attitude. They don't want to miss out on the potential opportunities. And investing, investors, it's not just investing in the stock market or real estate. It could be investing in your business, right? They have an investor mindset wherever they go. They're online at Chipotle and they're getting excited because Chipotle's busy and they're, oh, wow, maybe I should buy some stock in Chipotle. <laughs> That's the kind of attitude they have, right? And so they're always looking to buy a dollar for 80 cents. 
Okay. Now the E is for egotists and egotists are unconsciously overemphasizing their skill in investing. You know, we're going to buy this rental real estate property. It's going to make money no matter what. They don't actually, they're not mindful money managers, which as Phyllis says, the title of my first book, Mindful Money Management, they're not being mindful. They don't have a plan. They just jump in and, and are, like I said, unconsciously overemphasizing their skill set. So which one are you? Think about it. And you could be one or two or three. You could have a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary. But as I mentioned when I started out, I, you can actually, I have a survey. It'll take you three to five minutes. It's really simple. You'll circle some adjectives and you'll figure out which money personality type is. And what's really important is not only to understand them, but to understand how it's impacting you, right? Because if, and it, it could be, be impacting your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your parents or your children. Mm. So if you're going around and you're like, okay, I, I'm a splurger and that's the mindset. Well, it's, it's likely that you're getting into conflict with a, a spouse or your children who are probably more careful about maybe they're investors and may, maybe they're the savers or the protectionists. Mm. So conflict comes from not understanding the other person's point of view. You don't have to change, but for me, the, ver- the most important thing is being self-aware. So my question is, um, you said, for instance, like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge changed at the end of A Christmas Story. Um, he changed because of circumstances. So if the circumstances aren't in front of you or the situation isn't in front of you, can you consciously make an effort to change your personality type as it relates to money? And I'm thinking that this would be important as people are older, thinking about their retirement possibly, or um, you know where they're going to put their money or how much money they have and maybe their relationship with their children in terms of their planning for their older years. So what are the possibilities there? I absolutely, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I truly believe that the money personality type is pliable, is flexible, just like your brain is. You know, a lot of us were taught growing up that, you know, you are who you are, your brain is not flexible, but we've learned, there's been many studies that your brain is elastic. Yeah. And the more you use it, the more it expands. And it's the same thing here with your, your money beliefs. So you can learn to change and create empowering beliefs, which will then serve you more beneficially. So I have my clients write down first their limiting beliefs, if they have any around money, and then their empowering beliefs. So maybe you write down some affirming statements like instead of you have this limiting belief that money is scarce, you could write down an empowering belief like money comes easily and frequently or lucrative opportunities always come my way, Mm -hmm. or 
I am a money magnet mm-hmm. or I am an excellent money manager. Now, what's critical here is to write down your level of belief in each of these. So I wouldn't, and, and one to 10, where 10 is absolute faith that you can become this or you are there already. And one is massive doubt. And if you're not a seven, eight, nine, or 10, I, wouldn't, I would work on the ones that you already have a fairly strong belief in. Mm. So if you're, if you're, say, I am an excellent money manager and your subconscious is calling BS, right. not the belief system BS, but the other BS on you, right. I wouldn't be saying that. Right. You know, work on the ones that, you know, maybe instead of saying uh, lucrative opportunities always come my way, lucrative opportunities can come my way. Right. That's softer and you can believe it. And maybe that's an eight. And then you're, okay, I'm, I'm shifting my mindset. I'm shifting my personality type as I say these affirmations, as I change from limiting beliefs to empowering beliefs. And then the most important part of this is claiming these beliefs as your own by acting as if. Mm-hmm. By acting as if what you want to happen has already happened. And I, I, I did this when I was starting my hedge fund back in 2012 because I had two, I had two investors who had orally agreed to give me money. Big investors, I was all set. So I then hired a lawyer, an accountant, a fund administrator, compliance officer, a compliance company. Uh, I even moved into prime real estate space on 54th and Madison Avenue, Manhattan. I felt like I'd arrived. Mm, and that is prime. Both of those investors Wow. And both of those investors backed out. Mm. Wow. So I could have given up. Right. But instead, what I did was I acted as if we already had the money. I kept on interviewing for, for chief financial officers. I, I had calls every morning with my financial analyst. And we talked about the stocks we were going to invest in. And I did something even more crazy. I actually put together a spreadsheet and calculated the amount of money we were making or losing that day, quote unquote, as if we were invested. We did that. And of course, I took action. I got out into the world and I I asked a lot of people, did a lot of networking for money to raise money for my fund. And then within 60 days, we had the money. And I truly believe to this day because we acted as if we had the money, we mm. got the money. So acting as if is really critical in all aspects of your life. And so you can change your money personality type by acting as if you're moving towards that money personality type. And there are things you can do without spending money to act as if. So before we go into that, This might be a good time to take a break. And then when we come back, you can tell us more about that. So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk and we'll come back, join Joel Solomon for this wonderful conversation about uh, financial mindset, I guess, right? Money mindset and um, personality types and how you could possibly do things to change it and improve your uh, financial situation. So we'll be back in a few. 
Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. This is Rubina with our, my co-host Phyllis and our wonderful guest, Joel. Joel, you were talking about the money and the belief and it's so important at every age and uh, and it becomes more and more important that that pliability that flexibility of it as we age because we are more solid in our habits and and have you seen that in your uh, in your work with people and the one thing that i shared with you in the break is that that I really enjoyed you sharing your experience of acting as if you have already achieved. And that certainly has really made me aware of shifting my mindset um, already in the first conversation. So I'm looking forward to the second half and uh, share with us something that you see shifting as people age. Is it more easy to change, shift, learn? Not. That's a great question, Rabin. I actually, my very first client was a 75-year-old woman four years ago, and and she came to me because she had a big fear that she was running out of money. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was her belief. I I say there's no truths. There's only empowering beliefs and limiting beliefs. So we went through and went through the cash flow situation and she had negative cash flow in 2016. She came to me in early 2017 and we went through why she had negative cash flow and realized that she had a couple of one-time expenses. And in reality, she had very strong positive cash flow and it was really a significant work on mindset. 
shifting the mindset from fear and lack and scarcity to the fact that she really was abundant. In fact, she was generating $160,000 of income from her investments every year. Hmm. She had plenty. plenty. She had plenty. So, So Anyway, the point is, though, that even if your income is not generating 160000 it's all about the mindset. You can shift your mindset. And she was coming from a point of view of lack and scarcity. And we worked on the mindset. And then we also worked on where her investments were and why they were where they were. And a lot of them were not in investments that you would say are generating income. Mm-hmm. They were in investments that were too conservative. Like I talked about earlier, and as Phil has commented, you may not believe you're taking any risk, but if you have most of your money, even at 75 in cash, that is a lot of risk. Right. Because by the way, your life expectancy at 75 is 15 years. Uh-huh, right. That's, that's the average life expectancy. When you've reached 75, and I'm an actuary, as Phil has mentioned by training, so I know a little bit about life expectancy. So once you, you have a more than 50% chance of, of reaching 90 if you've lived to 75 in the United States. Hmm. So you need to plan for the next 15 years and you need to have enough money. And if you have all your money in cash, mo, you know, almost the cost of living will almost double over the next 15 years based on 3 to 4% inflation. Mm-hmm. So you, know? you need to have assets that are appreciating not depreciating. And assets are, in real terms, if you're putting your money in cash, they are depreciating right now with 0% return. So let me ask you this question. If people um, wanted, like you said, you're, you're not a financial advisor necessarily. So if people were concerned about this and their personality type where their money concerns were, as well as, you know, looking at where their investments are or, or, you know, if maybe they should be doing something different, who would you recommend that they go see? I, I don't mean a person. I mean, what profession would you recommend they go see? Well, so first I educate. So I educate them and then they can, if they don't, but I also teach rule number eight in the nine money rules is DIY. Right. So I teach that you now, I understand, you know, we're talking about seniors, but I still truly believe that, and people have come to me who are 20 and 70 who say, I'm not good at math. I don't have the time. Those are limiting beliefs. And I will tell you, if you have a fifth grade math education, you can be an amazing investor. You can do it yourself with my education, with me holding your hand, you can do it yourself. Now, if I can't get you to overcome that limiting belief that you can't do it yourself, that you don't have the time, that you know, you're not good in fifth grade math, then, you know, I can send you to, um, you know, financial advisor. But my strong recommendation is this is easy. Mm. This is easy. And I will tell you the richest people in the world, they all do it themselves. Right. You know, they all Warren, have their own, like Phyllis, you have, Rabin, you guys have your own business. Right. right. So you are effectively investing your money in your business, right? right. You are investors. Right. And so that is really important to understand. You know, Warren Buffett, I believe he said he bought his first stock. At, I think it's 12 years old. I mean, he started and it's not that he's a genius. It's not like he's, you know, 
you know, of super intelligence. He, and when I first heard him say that, I remember, I think, being in middle school when they started to teach us about stocks and picking stocks and in, in order to teach about um, being aware of money and spending money and, and uh, assets and making money. And actually, I, I think it would be important for us to bring up that something that you do is is working with kids on uh, developing a more positive and healthy relationship with money and money mindset. Absolutely. In fact, uh, a chapter in my upcoming book is money and kids. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about how parents can teach their kids early about allowances, about credit versus debit cards, um, about saving for college, about how cash flow their the parents' cash flow is and how that's you know, how they're using the cash flow, where they're dispersing the money. The other thing I wanted to point out is I know there's a lot of uh, angst about wealth transfer. You know, you're, you're a senior, you know, at some point, you know, we're all mortal, you know, we're not going to live forever. So there's going to be hopefully some money that's transferred to your children. And a lot of people are worried about are, what are the kids going to do with the money that I, that I, right. that I, that I, generated over my lifetime. Well, I can help there. If you're worried that these, you know, adult children don't have the proper education, I can help educate them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it doesn't take long, but it's, again, it's just working on the mindset and educate them so that they can then make wise decisions. And again, the name of my first book, Mindful Money Management, be mindful in the decisions, have a process in place rather than just, you know, oh, I got this stock tip from somebody. Right. Oh, this person's telling me this. I'm going to buy this real estate property. No, you need to have a process. You need to have a plan in place. You need to be mindful. Uh, Joel, a couple of times you've mentioned the nine rules. And so Phyllis mentioned in your introduction, the nine money rules millionaires use. Can you just... Uh, outline them for us and we know we can get more information in your book but if you can just give us the titles that would be a, a good introduction or, or even just a couple of them yeah yeah, yeah. so so the book is available on amazon it's also available on my website uh, website is solomore s-a-l-a-u-r-m-o-r.com on my website is also the audible version as well as the paperback and the ebook so rule number one, we've been talking about belief. Rule number one is when you believe. And, and the subtitle, Rabina, is only the unconventional one. So these are not, most of these rules are not processes, right? Mm-hmm. These, are, these are what I, I view as kind of spiritual rules. So rule number one is when you believe. Rule number two is trust your intuition. And no one, no, I'm pretty sure no financial advisor is going to tell you to trust your intuition when making investments. But I know as a former hedge fund manager, if I didn't trust my intuition, I either lost money or I made less money. So mm-hmm. trust your intuition. It's a powerful tool. So that's two. Three is can happiness buy me money? Mm-hmm. I love that one, mm-hmm. right? Can happiness buy me money or can money find me happiness? Can happiness buy me money? Rhetorical question, obviously. I know. Yeah. Okay. Uh Rule number four is can visualizing really make me money? Okay. 
So visualize. I have a six-step process in my book on how to visualize. It's very simple. And I also, I also say in my book, I don't know any billionaires who just sit at home and meditate and visualize. You have to go out and take action, action right? right? But visualizing is helpful, but don't just visualize and meditate. Get out into the world, take action, get on a podcast, you know, get out into the world and, and be of service to others. Well, I That's think that it. is, I, I, if I, you just said something very important um, about service to others because most um, billionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires will, will tell you how important it is to serve others. And I know when, when we uh, spoke before, um, I mentioned Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, and those that really have a purpose, uh, that are driven by their purpose and understand that purpose, and the purpose is a purpose greater than themselves. It's not about making money or being successful. It's, it's some other greater purpose uh, are the ones that are most successful. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just pause here at rule number four to tell you a quick story. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is I went to a personal development course as a hedge fund manager, and there was a guy who was a guest speaker. He got up on stage in front of the 200 people, and he was teaching, quote unquote, teaching stocks and stock options. And when he started speaking about stock options in particular, he made it sound like it was a get-rich-quick scheme. You don't need much time. You don't need much money. This is how the rich people get rich and options are essentially riskless. And I was sick to my stomach. I had people tap me on the shoulder, whisper in my ear because it was day two of the conference. They knew I was a hedge fund manager. And so after he was done, we went outside. I said, please don't do this. He has no idea about your earnings or cash flow or risk tolerance or tax status. And most importantly, is no idea about your belief system right. about making money in options. Right. And so the next morning I got, I flew back to New York. <coughs> I went in, I went into Manhattan, sent an email to my investors telling them I'm giving them their money back. I'm shutting down my fund. I found my true purpose. Oh, good for you. <coughs> So that hey. was, that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I, I felt that this person was at the very least misleading these people and some may say lying to them. And I felt like if I could ever get up the courage to speak in front of 200 people, I could actually help people and be authentic. And, and Phyllis knows five years ago, my biggest fear in life was public speaking. But I overcame <laughs> that by going to Toastmasters uh, for three years and mm -hmm. giving over 100 speeches. So anyway, rule number five, five. I'll, I'll continue. Rule number five is be grateful. Gratitude and appreciation of where you are right now is so powerful. There's been studies done that when you are actually writing in a gratitude journal right before you go to sleep and writing what you're grateful for and why, you're actually expanding brain synapses. And we talked about it earlier, the brain is elastic. So you're expanding your brain uh, by writing down what you're grateful for. You know, I want to say that in my, in my course, Resilience Toolbox Secrets, I talk about mindfulness, not money mindfulness, but mindfulness. And um, gratitude is an important part of that. Oprah used to say, uh, Oprah kept a, um, a journal for many, many years 
that she said um, she wrote in every day. I, I know I read she used to say that when she opened her curtains in the morning, she always said what she was grateful for, but she did have a gratitude journal and um, she credits that gratitude journal for her success. I started it actually quite a while ago. I think I've missed two days in the last three months. And it could be something small. People don't realize it doesn't have to be something grand. It could be something very, very small. It could be that we're having this great conversation on this podcast and learning about personality types with money and possibly improving ourselves. It could be, it, it doesn't have to be anything great. It could be Absolutely. a great cup of coffee you had in the morning and you had a chance to relax or um, the sun rising, sun rising going outside healthy. for a walk. I mean, it sounds so, sounds so simple. Yeah. It, it, it sounds very simple. And with me, I agree with you. But for me, I don't know if it's my belief or wherever. It's, it's that actual act of writing. Hmm. It's not acknowledging. You know, I, often my gratitude journal is in my mind, not on paper. Oh. Does that make a difference? Yes. What do you say, Joel? What do you I, I think it does um, because when you're, you're spending more time, you're focused and what you focus on, Becomes you create. Reality. So you're, when you focus on gratitude by actually writing down three to five things and writing down uh -huh. why you're grateful, you're focused on that. And law of attraction says what you put out, you get. So you're putting out gratitude and appreciation. You get, you're you're going to have more and more things to be grateful for in your life. To appreciate not so only that there is the, the act of when 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 it goes from your mind through your hand there is a neurologic connection sure. between what's in your mind going down through your body and actually physically writing it and it does reinforce that that whole system um and, and what you're focusing on so the writing part of it is actually important yep so rule number six is we've already talked about generous giving uh, seven is a four-letter word for many people. Budgeting. <laughs> I like that. But I will tell you, more than eighty percent of millionaires budget. Interesting. More than eighty percent of millionaires budget. So if you want to be like a millionaire, budget. Because the reason why it's more than eighty percent is most millionaires have their own business, and they're they're budgeting their business cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, rule number nine, we've already talked about a little bit already. Is what DIY. was eight? What was number eight? Did I miss? Oh, sorry. Eight is DIY investing. Right. So nine. Oh, eight oh, is okay. DIY investing. Mm -hmm. And nine is don't diversify. Oh, interesting. So what does that we, were, mean? we talked about Warren Buffett already. Right. So Warren Buffett, some, some of you may know, uh, is one of the richest men in the world. He said that if he had his druthers, he would put more than 50% of his net worth in one stock. Right. His right-hand man, Charlie Munger, who's also worth well over a billion dollars, said, if you know nothing, diversify. Right. So flip side. Flip you know, side this, uh, this goes against everything that I've heard so far is don't diversify. 
because you sit with the financial planner, one of the first thing you see is this pie chart with the diversification, this right. much risk, that much risk. And so, you're saying don't diversify. So Harry Markowitz, who's the father of modern portfolio theory, and I quote him in my book as well. I quote Warren and I quote Charlie Munger as well. So, so he, he said, uh, Harry Markowitz said that if you want to maximize your return, then don't diversify. Hmm. But what's not completely understood is that if you want to maximize your risk-adjusted return, you should diversify. I don't really care about risk-adjusted returns. I'd rather take more risk and get a higher return. And I will tell you, as a former hedge fund manager, when I was managing my own hedge fund, my top five stocks made me 120% of my return. And the other 70, they lost me 20%. Hmm. On average. Almost the 80-20 rule. Right. So, and, and no portfolio manager of any mutual fund is going to tell you this, and they owe hundreds of stocks. But it's really, really hard to pick great hundreds of stocks. You can find three to five, maybe 10 a year that massively outperform. But the rest of them, it's just because of the law, of the rules. Mm -hmm. And remember, actually, my, my, the book was going to be called Unconventional Money Rules, but I changed the title. The nine money rules millionaires use only the unconventional ones. So, yes, this is an unconventional rule, but I will tell you, and I'm not going to change billions of people's mind in, in, on this podcast, but I, I hope as I, more and more people read my book and more and more people hear what I have to say, the smartest people in the world, they don't diversify. They don't buy 100 homes, right? They don't buy hundreds and thousands of stocks. They invest in their business. Jeff Bezos, he put all his net worth into his business. Yep. He's worth $200 billion. Right. He didn't diversify into all these other companies. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, they didn't diversify. They put their idea into one company. Interesting. Interesting. Concept. So those are the nine money rules. Hope that was helpful. No, that is, that is helpful. To coming back to seniors and the money mindset of the elderly, and there is a lot of anxiety about whether they're going to be able to afford their, you know, their now longer life. And that definitely was a big factor in my, my, my father. You know, he had enough money to live on, but every time that I met with him, as he began to lose his memory, he said, what's happening with my bills? Are they being paid? I said, yes, I'm being, is there money? Yes, there is money to pay for them. Are you sure we have it? I said, yes. I said, but don't worry if we run out, I will pay for it. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> but that anxiety over money is there. And part of the this education that you're seeing is sharing with us, hopefully will go towards helping uh, elders, you know, develop that level of confidence and have that so that perhaps some level of anxiety will be reduced. So two comments for being a one, I say worry, worry is negative future planning. 
Worry is negative future planning. You're thinking about what you don't want to happen as opposed to what you do want to happen. So why not think about what you do? And I understand, you know, I was, I will tell you, I was brought up by the world champion warrior. I was brought up by the world champion <laughs> well, I, have, wait, I learned Joel, from the best. I have, Joel, I have to interject that that's part of a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> okay. And we're both part of the same culture. So yeah, that's, maybe. That's, but uh, but anyway, so I, I learned from the best. And I know you can change your mindset mm-hmm. by focusing on what you want to happen as opposed to what you don't well, want to happen. Yeah. Second, sorry. Ahead. No, you go ahead. Second point I wanted to mention is I teach people how to calculate their financial freedom number. And what has been incredibly enlightening to me and potential clients and existing clients is that everyone guesses way too high. They think their, they, their financial freedom number is 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 25. I've got $25 million as a financial freedom number. So I teach the financial freedom number is just the amount you need to cover your expenses so that the income from your investments covers those expenses and so you don't have to work. So, you know, if you're a senior and your expenses are $2,500 a month, right? So that's 30,000 a year. You need $500,000 earning 6% interest or 6% return to be financially free. And, and 6% is a pretty conservative number based on stock market return of 9% over the last 50 years and real estate return of 7.5% over the last 70 years. So it's a conservative number. So that's all you need. And so, you know, I know a lot of people say, oh, that's it. But if you can generate a 6% return, that's all you need to cover your expenses. And, and so a lot for a lot of people... I actually had a client recently and she started getting social security and social security was $2,000 a month. And she owned a rental real estate property generating $1,500 of net cash flow a month. So $3,500 a month for, for her was enough to be financially free. Her expenses were not $3,500. And she's like, oh my God, I can retire. Yes, Joni, you can retire. Huh, interesting. So, it, it's, it, so if you're getting... Social Security, and you don't even need that big lump of cash sitting there because the Social Security will cover a lot of your expenses. So it's just how much other income. It may not even be a half a million dollars. Before we go, because we have to finish um, in another moment. So before we go and I ask you to give all your contact information, I just want to say about um, money or mindfulness in general there is an expression, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So, Henry Ford. Right, Henry Ford. So why not focus on the positive aspect of it? But that isn't such an easy thing. And that actually, I, I talk about that in my course too, to reframe your thinking or reframe your focus takes practice. It's not just, oh, today I'm going to think positively. It, that's not it. It is a mindset shift and it does take practice and it, t- it takes work. You have to put in the time. So before we go, uh, you want to give your contact information again and, and anything. I, I know you have a special offer that you wanted to give to our listeners. Yes. I'd like to give out uh, a free book, a random free book 
to uh, somebody who emails me at joel at S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. That's Salamore, again, named after my daughters, Lauren and Morgan, S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. Uh, you can find me on my website as well. That's Salamore.com. Um, and again, uh, so, yeah, so you can reach me there. Uh, the nine money rules millionaires use only the unconventional ones. Terrific. So um, on that note, thanks, Joel, for this enlightening conversation. I know I, I wrote down these, uh, these personality types. And as you were speaking, I was try- saying, hmm, which one, which, which, where do I belong? And uh, what can I change? I know I have to change some, that's for sure. So thanks for sharing your time with us today on Senior Straight Talk. And um, thanks for the valuable work you're doing to help people because it, it really is, is crucial. Um, please join us for our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. This is Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry signing off. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 